When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today our hearts are heavy for those that were murdered in Alabama at an Episcopal church, St. Stephen's. Um, Many of our folks at our church are connected in some way to them through the Seminary of the Southwest, where many of the priests from the Diocese of Alabama train for ministry, and many of us who have been students there, including several of our parishioners, uh, know people that have attended there and, and are known there. We pray for the ending of gun violence in America, our obsession with guns, that we will repent of that, and that we'll pass sensible laws that will keep these kinds of guns and all guns out of the hands of people who will do murder. And yet we mourn, we mourn for these losses of these dear saints. I've heard that this was like their entire altar guild was killed. And if you've been in an Episcopal church, you know who does that kind of work in a church. Um, The unseen saints who get the job done every single service and we think about them in that very personal way and commend their souls to god even as we cry out for justice amen the people of god are still homeless living in tents, encampments that they pick up and move frequently, trying to get enough grass for their livestock and sheep and goats. And they long for a settled place. I don't know if you've ever lived itinerantly. It's something about having somewhere to, you know you're gonna be for a while is a real blessing. And they don't have that and they long for it. And so, They organize these 12 men. They are directed by the Lord, by Yahweh, to say to Moses, Yahweh says to Moses, send these spies. Um, They are representative of each of the tribes which are listed in the part that we didn't read. Um, And they go, and they're named, and they go out um, to check out this land. The minute they get there, they see these clusters of grapes that are growing. The single cluster of grapes is so big that they need two guys to carry them on a pole between them, almost like they're bringing back a, a like a, a wild boar from a hunt. You know how they string it between the poles and carry it on their shoulders. Um, also reminiscent of the Ark of the Covenant is carried this way. Um, on a pole or on poles by, by people. There's no carts involved. So here they are carrying this giant cluster of grapes. It's so heavy, they have to carry it with two people. And this is a very visible symbol of the abundance of the land that was promised to them, the land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, a place where you can grow things and feed enough people, um, unlike the wilderness of Sinai that they are in. Um, And yet, the people that live there are strong. When 
Joseph and his family goes to Egypt hundreds of years before. They are just one of the many tribal societies that live in this land. When they go back, um, the land, the other nations that have grown up there have grown up too. And these tribal family groups have become uh, nation states and they are now very numerous. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, um, and the Canaanites. These are all related groups of people for the most part. Uh, the Hittite kingdom is um, probably most famous for its um, depiction in the story of the Iliad. Uh, the city of Troy um, is a Hittite city. The Hittite empire kind of winds itself down around this time, um, splitting into several different people groups and languages, but um, <clears throat> the the cultural identity still endures to the point of the kingdom of David, who has a famous murder of infamous murder of Uriah the Hittite, um, so he can marry Uriah the Hittite's wife Bathsheba. He's still being called the Hittite um, even after the empire of the Hittites is pretty much over. But they are strong there in the land as they've set up colonies in the land of Canaan. All of these groups are colony groups for the most part. They are people from other places that have come into the land of Canaan um, and then certainly the Canaanites, who are a group of people that live there as well. Archaeologists today, when you dig up anything in this land, um, in the land of Israel, it's hard to distinguish sometimes between what is Canaanite and what is Hebrew or other uh, groups of people. They all lived much more similarly than they were different, um, certainly farming in the same ways. And yet when it come, came to their faith, they were very different. Um, all the Canaanites and these groups worshipped Baal. Baal, the Lord is his name. Um, probably a god associated with crops and growing crops and uh, seeding the harvest. So many of Baal's, Baal's worshippers would do acts of contrition, um, of cutting themselves to try to get all to hear them and also engage in a lot of sexual activity sort of to jumpstart the production of crops every spring. And so um, the Canaanite religion as we know it today through scripture and through archaeology um, had those themes um, pretty clearly um, documented. So these, this is a very strange place that they're going into, even though it's the land that God promised to Abraham it is a place that they have not lived for a very long time. Um, and Caleb and Joshua, Caleb um, is the word for dog. Um, he's scrappy. He's like a junkyard dog. I, so I picture him. He's a scrappy little guy who um, is tough and he's determined. Um, and then Joshua is his companion. They're from different tribes, but they share the same vision. But Caleb speaks up first. Um, he says, let's go up and occupy it. We're ready. We've been here long enough. Um, you know, and everybody else that went with him, except for Joshua, the 10 other spies 
said, we're not able to go against this people. They're too strong. Um, it'll be too difficult. And then they say that we saw people there of great size. They were really big. The guys there are really big. They're the final boss of the game. We saw the Nephilim, they say. The Nephilim are famous from Genesis chapter 6 when the sons of God um, sexually assault the daughters of men on the earth. So these divine beings, angels perhaps, come down and um, impregnate human women and their offspring are sort of half human, half angelic, and they become a curse on the earth. They incite people to violence. They um, draw people away from the love of God um, in the story of Genesis chapter 6. And it is because of this violence, continual violence that the Nephilim encourage that the flood happens, that God says, I, I must start over with humanity. That they are mentioned here is very odd. It's a long time ago that they walked the earth. Um, whether, um, and the, the commentator who's writing this says that the Anakites, who are some of the people that live there, um, who are different than the Amalekites, apparently, and the Amorites, um, the Anakites, are descendants from the Nephilim. How that is possible, I do not know, um, unless you have uh, some of Noah's family and his son's wives, perhaps, um, being part of this lineage. I don't know. But um, perhaps it's just the fear talking. Um, life is really scary, and new things are really scary. And when these ten spies go see the land, they don't see it through the eyes of faith. They see it through the eyes of their own anxiety and doubt and fear. Sometimes we need someone like Caleb who sees a brighter future, who sees possibilities. I tend to be a fairly pessimistic, cynical person. I started out as a pretty optimistic person, if you want to use those terms to describe me. Um, and life has a way of crushing some of that. I was a pretty gullible person, too, um, until um, some people pulled some fast ones on me, and I was surprised. That's kind of how we get as humans sometimes. And yet Caleb hasn't lost that spark of curiosity, that spark of possibility. Um, we need each other for these kinds of words, don't we? Uh, we need each to tell each other that there is hope for our future, that there are good things ahead that the things that we think are impossible are definitely possible with God. Um, we, we get so down in our despair, and we say we'll never, ever, ever do that again or trust a person again or, uh, or open our hearts in a, it, to, to new possibilities or love or anything again in our despair, in our discouragement, in our fear. But we need Caleb to say, Now's the time. Let's go for it. Caleb and Joshua um, become symbols of faith in this time. Um, we, we're not going to read the whole saga um, unless you read it tomorrow on Saturday or Sunday for morning prayer. Um, but what happens is that this sets the people of God back 40 years. Um, the Lord hears all the, the dissent and hears all the negative and disparaging and discouraging comments from these 10 spies. 
um, and says, okay, um, we'll just wait for this generation to die off before we go into the land. Um, we're not going to mess around with trying to get people that don't want to do something to do something. So if they don't have the faith, we'll wait for the next generation. They'll be ready. So everyone that's under 20 years old will go into the promised land. And everybody that's over 20, when this event happens, wander in the wilderness until their death. They do not enter the promised land until every single person, except for Joshua and Caleb, die. The old joke is that you can imagine Caleb and Joshua waking up every morning in their little tent going, ah, it's good to be alive today. And they go down the line of tents and they're, they say, hey, hey, uh, Johnny, how you doing today? How you feeling? You feeling okay? Oh, oh, you're not? Okay. And they mark on their calendar another day, go down the line of tents. Hey, how are you feeling today? Doing okay? I don't know if they did that, but they were ready. And Caleb, as a very, very, very elderly man, goes into the promised land and, and is very active in the conquest of it. Um, so his confidence at this point as a young man never changes. Um, at the end of his life, he is still full of faith. Um, this is part of the, the lesson of faith is that we are not limited by our age when it comes to faith. In fact, our faith ought to grow as our outward form diminishes, as our strength or physical strength diminishes, our faith should increase or can increase. Um, I don't want to should anyone um, into that, but this is the promise of God that the real giants in the land are Caleb and Joshua, these little guys who have big faith and we need to do that today. Um, yesterday, someone um, told me that they heard from God that we would um, someday have a church building to live in and meet in. And uh, I needed to hear that, a word of faith. And I was able to share my word of faith with them as well. But to hear that from them was hugely encouraging for me. Um, sometimes we... Um, don't give up hope, um, but we set it aside. And um, I need to remember the lesson of Caleb, that we don't set aside hope. Hope is something that lives now, and we can have it. Um, but we must see through the eyes of faith. They were able to see it um, when they marched out of Egypt, but somehow they've gotten stuck here in the wilderness. When I think of the horrific plague of gun violence in our country, a country saturated with guns. There are way more guns than people in this country. Um, and I've owned guns before. Um, and, and I remember feeling the allure of them and feeling the, the need for guns, that somehow I was doing a public service by owning guns to keep our country free. Um, and yet, when we see how easy it is for people who have violent impulses to get guns, um, I question whether my motives were good or righteous. I was more like these 10 spies who said, we've got to play it safe. We have to be careful. Um, we don't want to do anything that might get us hurt. 
Um, right now, to stand against the gun lobby is a terrifying thing. Um, these kinds of shootings in places that resist uh, guns, like schools, schools are gun-free zones, churches are off, Episcopal churches are places that we've said we are not going to bring guns into, and those places are going to be targets um, when it comes to this, uh, to gun violence. And that is a very discouraging thing to, to consider, that even if laws change today, there are so many guns in our communities, in our closets, in our cars, in vehicles that can be easily stolen, um, that the plague of gun violence will not change, even if laws change. We need to change our laws so that high-capacity magazines and other uh, weapons of mass destruction are taken out of our communities. Um, just because law-abiding citizens own weapons of mass destruction does not mean that criminals can't steal them, and they do all the time. Um, and so I am discouraged when I think of the possibility for change in our country. I get down and I, get dis I despair and say, it'll never happen. We should just give up now. What's the point? Why try? And I sound a lot like those 10 spies who say, it can't be done. There are giants in the land. We'll never, ever win on this issue. And yet, I'm reminded of Caleb, who says we can do it. With God's help, we can do it. And we need a lot of Caleb's in our world today who see that it's going to take a while to change the easy access of weapons of mass destruction to people who are impulsively violent. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of listening, a lot of um, hard decisions. It's going to take a lot of our voices lifting up and our voting and all the other things that go along with it. And ultimately, it's going to take our courage to keep showing up in places that are plagued with gun violence. Um, our schools, our churches, it is not lost on me that our church meets at an elementary school in Texas, places that have been routinely targeted by uh, violent people with their guns um, and churches as well. So we pray for all the churches in our world, especially here in our gun-addled um, United States that every worshiper who comes on every Sunday or every potluck dinner on a Thursday night is at risk for gun violence. We are at risk for these things. And we need to repent and be like Caleb and say, yes, we can make changes. We can do this together. There are ways that we can make this better. I encourage you to consider the bishops against gun violence's proposals to our government the Episcopal Public Policy Network that is our lobbying wing in Washington, our lobbying group. It's small, but um, they're there and they're speaking to our politicians today about what laws can be passed that will invoke common sense, responsible gun ownership and laws to protect the most vulnerable among us. Um, we need to not give up, to keep marching into the land that God um, has called us to. The grapes are big. The giants are big. And so are we. Amen. On 123, Lord Jesus Christ, by your death, you took away the sting of death. 
Grant to us, your servants, so to follow in faith where you have led the way, that we may at length fall asleep peacefully in you and wake up in your likeness for your tender mercy's sake. Amen. Amen.